It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You're listening to the FT Money program from the Investors Chronicle and FT Money. Hello and welcome to the FT Money show. In today's program, the latest on the topsy-turvy upside-down housing market. With mortgage rates rising out of step with base rates, can it still be cheaper to buy than rent? We find out. Investment funds. Have any fund managers managed to keep their heads and your money above water in volatile markets? Spanish property. Why Brits owning abroad may be due a tax rebate of nearly £20,000 each. And we have some good news and bad news on long-term savings rates. I'm Matthew Vincent from FT Money, and I'll be giving you the lowdown on all of these money matters in downloadable form with the help of my colleague from FT Money, Steve Lodge. Hello. So let's start then with the money news. This week, Abbey released its latest rent versus buy index, which calculates the cost of paying off a 25-year mortgage compared with renting over the same period. And with mortgage rates rising and thousands of homeowners now considering selling up to go and rent, you'd think that the calculation would be simple. Renting is now the cheaper option. But no, says Abby. Even assuming a mortgage rate of 6.64% for the whole 25-year term of a mortgage, on average, you'd still be about £10,000 better off buying a home rather than renting. Um, Steve, this surprised me slightly. I thought that uh, with mortgage rates having risen, you know, the differential between buying and renting would be you know, down to something very, very small. Mortgage rates have risen, of course, Matthew, although though not for existing borrowers who took out the mortgage a long time ago, but you're right, for people buying now, mortgage rates are up, and people coming to remortgage, of course, as we've talked a lot about on this program. Um, but there are other issues here. Rents have gone up. Whether that is um, lack of supply or indeed more first-time buyers holding back because of fears of the housing market, the net effect is is rents are up, more expensive to to rent, at the same time as house prices have started to fall and clearly there are um, expectations of further falls in the house prices. So in the round... This is the finding. Of, of course, I mean, the counter view to all this is that um, would you want to be buying when you expect them to, there to be further falls? I don't think this index takes into account future expectations, of course. That's true. Uh, it's taking a snapshot uh, as well. I think it was, uh, I think it was earlier uh, in June that the, that the figures were, were put together. But some of, the, um, some of the differentials seem 
they're really rather large. I mean, I'm just looking at the at the figures, and it's saying that uh, east east of Scotland apparently is the the place where it makes most sense to buy rather than rent. Something like nice. if you want to live in the east of Scotland, well, it's a lovely place. Um, you, you should you should go there more often. Um, but ninety thousand pounds over twenty five years is what you'd save by buying rather than renting. Uh, and the next biggest uh, saving for buying is south. East of England, uh, sort mm. of sixty thousand pounds. So um, these are not you know, trifling sums of money. No, indeed. And you know, listeners won't need to be told that most people do want to buy at the, the end of the day. So, so even if on occasion the index shows that renting is is more worthwhile, the reality is the whole decision between renting and buying is such a kind of illiquid thing that uh, people tend to buy much more for lifestyle reasons as we know but uh, of course there are interesting implications here for buy to let i mean arguably the, the story is more interesting from a buy to let perspective if rents are going up and prices are falling that's contrary to what we've heard about the buy to let market being in trouble that's not bad news is it landlords who are well financed are getting good and increasing rents from tenants who hopefully are staying there because they can't afford to buy or are uncertain about buying at the same time as they are seeing well the the the, the price of their existing properties might be coming back down but it's a classic example of averaging down the ability to buy other properties that are falling as well and build up their property empires, subject, of course, to having access to funding. And, of course, some of that funding is, is getting um, – that mortgage borrowing is, is harder to get now, of course, as we know. Well, that, that's, that's the, the, the third factor. Rents are going in the right direction for a buy-to-let landlord. Prices are going in the right direction for a first-time buy-to-let landlord, yes. someone buying in right yeah. now. But there was that cost of financing. I think Abby worked its figures yeah. out on 6.64%, but yes. some, you know, lots of buy-to-let mortgages would be looking for higher interest exactly. rates. Exactly, and it's access to, to the borrowing as well. It's, so it's not actually the, not necessarily just the price, it's the will they lend uh, a certain loan-to-values and so on. Of course, um, and as, as we've seen this week, loan-to-values on a whole range of mortgages uh, being lowered uh, yes, indeed. Yet again, especially if you're looking for a very good rate. Um, well, thanks very much for that, Steve. And if you'd like to learn more about the um, economics of buying versus renting, look out for Elaine Moore's article in this week's FT Money in the weekend FT on the 28th and 29th of June and online at ft.com forward slash money. You can also send in your questions for us to answer by emailing us at money at ft.com. Still to come in the programme, a possible tax rebate for Britons who've owned property on the costas. And good news and bad news on a savings rate for life. But first, fund investments. Since the start of the year, the performance of many equity funds has been decidedly poor, with just 8% of stock-picking funds reporting a positive return, according to research conducted by Lipper Hindsight. And even cash and bond funds have not been sure bets, with less than a quarter of the 3,500 funds available to retail investors managing to make any money at all. But a select few have managed to produce consistent positive returns of up to 10% and sometimes more. And the broker Killick & Co. believes they have something in common. They all offer exposure to oil, soft commodities and natural resources. So Ellen Kelleher of FT Money spoke to Mick Gilligan, Director of Fund Research at Killick, about the best and worst funds of 2008. 
With the price of oil nearing $142 a barrel this week, how has that impacted the performance of some of these funds that offer exposure to oil and and other sorts of commodities? Well, I I think um, a number of the pure energy funds haven't actually benefited as much as you would have thought, given what's been happening in the oil price. Um, And I think one of the reasons is that a lot of the sector heavyweights in the oil sector, i.e. the large integrated companies like BP, Shell, Exxon, and so forth, um, in, in, in many cases are suffering because they um, are struggling to replace the reserves that, that, that they need to, and also they don't make as much refining margin because the input costs as a result of higher energy prices mean that the, that the margins are squeezed. Um, but the, the small exploration stocks have done well, um, so, so any funds that would be skewed into exploration production stocks uh, and certainly new energy um, stocks have, have, and funds have done particularly well. But I, I think um, what has been noticeable year to date has been that uh, commodities clearly has been a very important part of the portfolio and one of the few places that uh, people have been able to make um, positive headway. Where would you put your money uh, You know, if you were going to suggest a few funds that private investors should look at? Wh- what would these be? Well, I, I think the if you just first of all look at the market backdrop, I think the big concern at the moment is inflation, um, combined with receding growth prospects globally. In that sort of environment, it is very difficult to make money in equities, and so one area that, that investors I think should look at is how they c- they can they can hedge against that. An obvious way of doing that is to invest in the sources of of any potential inflation, and the two being the two big ones being food and, and energy. So having some exposure to oil funds, energy funds, and having some exposure to agricultural commodities um, and, and also potentially gold. Um, so, so that would be the areas I would, I would suggest people should have at least some exposure to in their portfolios at this point in time. Given the run-up in the price of gold, do you think it's still a safe haven that investors should check out? It, it just seems so high now that you wonder whether it's worth it. I think if you look at the price of gold year-on-year, it, it has had a good run-up. But in fact, it's, it's kind of sidelined, really, uh, for the last four or five months. And given the, the global backdrop, you would have thought gold would have performed much better. It's always a difficult one to try and second-guess in terms of supply and demand. But I think just given what the, the pressures, uh, the, the, amount, the amount of supply, money supply, we've seen in, in the last year or so, that would suggest that it's important to have some gold in your portfolio. And just given the, the, the stagflation concerns, again, that reinforces the case for having some gold in the portfolio. And how does inflation, can you sort of go into a bit more detail about the drag effect that puts on funds? Yeah, I, I, think, uh, I think it very much depends on the type of inflation you have. So if you have inflation that is demand-led, you've got the sort of gentle upward inflation that is an environment where companies can increase their prices, maintain or expand their margins, then that's sort of a pleasant inflation, if you like. But the, the sort of inflation that, that, it, that is particularly unpleasant is one where you're getting... Um, it's pushed up by increasing wages or increasing cost pressures that, that uh, businesses are not able to pass on to consumers. And that there is a risk of that. That's the sort of inflation that we're seeing coming through. Given that, again, again, it just reinforces the, the case to have some exposure to 
to the areas I mentioned, agriculture and energy. But in terms of the impact that's likely to have on funds, it's also brought to the fore the importance of having exposure to hedge funds, absolute return funds that can effectively, if you like, take short positions in the market. In other words, benefit from falling equity prices as well as rising or just hedge out the, the impact this, this is having on equities. Would you be able to suggest a few funds that have done particularly well since January that investors should consider uh, buying into? Absolutely. I think uh, if you, if we first of all look at the, the, the area, the sources of inflation, one fund that stands out for us is a fund called M&G Global Basics. This is a UK OIC. Um, it is up around about 10% so far this year. And the, the big overriding theme of this fund is benefiting from what we're seeing in emerging markets in terms of increased consumption, increased demand for agricultural products and f- uh, commodities generally, and in terms of East, increased personal consumption. But what is interesting is that it, it, it only invests really in companies listed in developed markets. So it's, it's a lower risk way of playing um, uh, the emerging market theme. So that would be one that would spring to mind. I think probably the standout performer this year has been the Eclectica Agriculture Fund. So Eclectica being a small London-based boutique, this is a fund that invests in companies that are effectively riding this agflation theme. So they either are companies like Monsanto, where they produce genetically modified crops or chemicals that, that will enhance yields and crops, or companies that provide agricultural machinery. Um, in the very short term, we, we might see a pullback there, and in fact we saw Monsanto come out with good results this week and the share price fell, uh, which I think is just a, bit, a bit of profit-taking. So we might see some short-term weakness, but we think that long-term story is still intact. So eclectic agriculture has certainly done well. Um, and another one I'll just pick out is a fund called Bluecrest All Blue, which is a closed-end fund listed in London. It, it is a series of hedge fund strategies, and at the start of the year that was trading on a discount of around about 6%, and what we've seen since then is that discount has gone to a premium and the underlying performance has been very strong. So it's um, up around 20% year-to-date as well. That was Ellen Kelleher talking to Mick Gilligan of Hillick & Co. And for Ellen's article on the few funds to have produced positive returns this year, including profiles of the top-performing funds, pick up a copy of FT Money with the Weekend FT on the 28th and 29th of June. Coming up, we have good news and bad news on a lifetime savings account. Before that, though, possible tax rebates for owners of property in Spain. This week came news that hundreds of Britons who sold a property in Spain between June 2004 and December 2006 have begun a fight to reclaim tax from the Spanish government. The property owners believe the Spanish authorities charged them 20% too much capital gains tax. Initial estimates put the total amount to be reclaimed at £11,000 per person, totalling an estimated £37 million. But over the last few months, hundreds of Brits have registered average reclaims of more than £19,000 each, totalling more than £86 million. So to find out who's affected and what chance they have of actually getting this money back, Elaine Moore of FT Money spoke to Mark Bodega, director at Currency Brokers, HIFX. 
British nationals who sold property in Spain have been told they might be able to reclaim some capital gains tax that they paid to Spanish authorities. Why is this? Um, historically, UK citizens and other non-resident EU citizens paid 35% capital gains tax when selling a property in Spain. Um, at the same time, Spanish nationals only paid 15%. Uh, in January 2007, the European Commission ruled that the Spanish tax authorities were contravening the European Treaty Rules on Discrimination by charging non-residents 20% more, and Spain in, two in 2007 had to change their tax laws. So now EU citizens, including the Spanish, are charged 18% CGT on their property sales. So for anybody who thinks that they were overcharged by 20% when they sold property previously, how might they go about reclaiming this? Okay, well, the, the first thing that's important to, to point out is who are potentially affected. Um, any British person who sold a property in Spain between June 2004 and December 2006 could be entitled to make a claim. Now, due to stringent legal restrictions in Spain, anyone who sold a property prior to this has already lost the right to make a claim, as Spanish law dictates that claims must be lodged within four years of the date the CGT was paid. Um, for anyone affected, the clock is ticking, and every day hundreds of people are potentially missing out. So it's, it's, it's important that people, if they think they've been affected, um, put in a claim as soon as possible. Now, how do they do that? The process really is not complicated at all, and if anyone does feel that they have been affected, um, all people need to do is visit the website that has been set up to help them, which is www.spanishtaxreclaim.co.uk. The site gives uh, people all the information they need to make a claim. Alternatively, they can call up the helpline that's been set up, uh, and they can be guided through the process, and, and any questions they have um, will be answered. The number is 0845 six eight zero three eight four nine and how much might people be able to reclaim um, when we originally started the campaign we thought the average reclaim amount was somewhere in the region of eleven thousand pounds however we're three months into this this uh, campaign now and about 400 people have begun the reclaim process and the average reclaims are actually about nineteen thousand pounds nearly double what we expected um, it's actually also worthwhile to point out that um, you're not only reclaiming the tax, by, by law, you're also entitled to 6% interest annually from when you pay the tax until the time you receive the reclaimed money. So this could increase the amount you recover on average by about 25%. How likely is it that people will get their money back from the Spanish tax authorities? Again, there have been a number of different cases um, where the EU has ruled against sovereign governments in regards to tax. Now, obviously, the Spanish government is rejecting all cases being brought before them at the moment. Um, first, the case will need... To, there are a number of cases already in process, and they are already with the Spanish tax office, but we expect those claims, naturally, to be, to be rejected. The next step is to go to the Spanish courts, and again, we believe that the Spanish government will want to reject the claims. However, once they've been through the Spanish courts, the, the Spanish must then consult the European Court of Justice, and, and that's when we believe that the um, cases will be overturned. Time-wise, we're already about a year into the process, and we think it'll be about a year and a half to two years further before the first cases are 
are um, concluded. Once that first case has been concluded, then everybody else's cases will happen far more quickly. But, and even though the cases have begun in some instances, British people can still sign up. Absolutely. Yeah. And as I said, it's, you know, you, you've got a, basically a four-year deadline from when you actually paid that Spanish capital gains tax. So if anyone does think they've been affected, the sooner they, they put in a claim, which will cost them nothing, um, the, the more likely they are to get the tax back. That was Elaine Moore of FT Money talking to Mark Bodega of HIFX. And to learn more about tax on property abroad, you can read Elaine's articles on the subject in this week's FT Money in the Weekend FT on the 28th and 29th of June. And finally today, it's good news, bad news on a savings account that guarantees an interest rate for life. Um, Steve, now, this, this new account... Um, it's not guaranteeing a fixed interest rate, but it is guaranteeing to pay you a certain level, isn't it? Yes, it's a lifetime tracker in savings. People will understand the concept in, in mortgages. This is the first one in savings. So it gar- it's from Bradford and Bingley called Rate for Life, and there are three versions, branch-based, online, postal, all paying the same rate. 0.25 over base rate. So currently 5.25 if base rate goes up. Uh, to say 5.25, you're guaranteed to get 5.5. So that's the the good news, is that this this beats the kind of traditional problem of savings, which is you sign up to a Best Buy account that becomes is Best Buy today, but is tomorrow's dog account, and at worst is completely downgraded and earns a paltry return. Um, So that's the good news. It's a kind of sleep easy option. The bad news is 5.25 is not going to get too many listeners excited at this time. It's not, it's not near the, you know, the best rates Not right nearly now. the best, exactly. I mean, traditionally, of course, a, a guaranteed premium of 0.25 over base would be pretty good, um, experts say, in, in the long run of savings. But we're in a different savings world now and for some time to come, it seems. Um, so you can get fixed rates of 7, 7.15. A lot of providers out there, 7, and that's, that's certainty, and that's true certainty, of course. Um, you know, fixed rates is what it sounds like. Um, instant access best buys, which are obviously subject to downgrading, paying up to about 6.5%. Um, and there are other guarantee or, or products offering certainty out there. Um, iSave, for example, with the Icelandic bank, currently paying 6.3% on its easy access account, and that gives a commitment for its rate to be at least 0.35% over the base rate until 2011. So, frankly, that's as long a guarantee as most people are going to need. Um, so anyone listening to this program is is likely to be the sort of person who is prepared to move their savings around from time to time. Um, the, the really bad news as well, of course, is um, in an era of savings competition, if base rates do fall again because we get another economic panic, um, then this, this account's guaranteed to fall. That's true. It, um, yes, it's going to move in either direction yeah. um, you mentioned that it's uh, it's only attraction really is if you want to put a sum of money away and then just not have to worry about it yeah. and as you say sleep easily yes. um, but we've mentioned on this program before um, the investec high five account which which also saves you the bother of switching because it, it averages the the, the, is it the five best buys indeed, in the market? Indeed, it's a very good example. I mean, that's um, it's, yes, it's a return that is updated weekly according to the five best buys as measured by one of the money facts, the kind of uh, 
if you like, their leading independent rate monitor. Um, latest rate, 6.55%. Fabulous. And if you look over returns over the last year, it's about the same as well. So based on all this fabulous competition we've had since a fabulous savings competition we've had since the credit crisis took hold last summer. Um, big catch with that account is you need a minimum £25,000 deposit. Which isn't the case for the Bradford and Bingley lifetime The, the minimum accounts. here is £1,000. The only real catch is instant access withdrawals. The only real limit on withdrawals is if you go for the postal version, it's a minimum of £250 so, uh, to, to encashments. So there's no real catches with Bradford and Bingley. Oddly, though, Bradford and Bingley is offering this account at the same time as offering one of the leading best buy instant access accounts paying 6.51%. So it really is a case of, you know, you pays your money and takes your choice. Or is it, Exactly. And, and just finally, um, what's meant by lifetime? The rest, ah. of, the rest of your natural life? What happens if Bradford and Bingley gets taken over, which is you know, a possibility? Well, indeed, I suppose there is. You know, will they always honour this tr- contract? They say they'll honour it if it becomes a closed account. So, so if, the, if, the, if they decide three months down the line they don't really want to offer this option anymore, it's too expensive, or they just think it's not very appealing, then people who've opened the account will continue to benefit so long as they maintain the account themselves, even if it becomes an old, a closed, an obsolete account. So it is, it is the saver's lifetime that's uh, the, the key here. Uh, thanks, Steve. And uh, if you'd like to know more about the Bradford and Bingley lifetime savings account, Steve has made it his deal of the week um, in FT Money this week with the weekend FT on the 28th and 29th of June. And that's all we've got time for in this week's FT Money show. Remember that you can email your views and your questions to ask.ftyourmoney at ft.com. And we'll be back next week with another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Steve. Goodbye. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM.